folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Field and Garden Podcast. It is your friend, Lisa Mason Ziegler, and I am really glad that you've decided to join me here. And I just love talking about cool flowers, y'all. There are so many angles and questions and different ways to apply the concept that I just keep thinking of more things that we should talk about. And um, today's episode, which is called Cool Flowers in the Ground, because we are kind of heading into that time, at least I am here in southeastern Virginia, heading into that time where pretty much all of my cool flowers are in the ground. You know, they've all been planted. It's actually coming on the end of February, and I still have a, f- a handful to put in the ground, but not many because we are actually dead in coming to the end of my very early spring planting window for me, which we know is six to eight weeks before your last spring frost. And the more you push that envelope and go later and later, the less benefit you have of the cool flower concept. Because friends, the whole concept is kind of based on allowing this group of cool season hardy annuals to become really well established before it's time for them to grow and bloom, right? And so the closer to spring that we plant them and early summer, the less established and prepared for their duty they are. So, I'm coming to the end of mine. I am doing some experimenting here on the farm this year of planting some later, but we're not even going to talk about that until the results are in. And I can already forecast that there'll be some winners and there might be a lot of losers um, that fall under that experiment. But I've broken down what I want to talk to you today into three areas, Um, a fall planting check-in, then my very early spring plantings, and then what's going to go on when the blooming starts, right? That's kind of like the time that we're heading into. But before we dive into that, if you are new here, welcome. I'm so glad you've decided that you clicked the button and joined me. Um, And it really means a lot to me. I mean, I appreciate each and every person and Um, If you are someone that has been listening to my podcast, I would love for you to post a review on whatever podcast app you listen to it on. That the more reviews I get, the more that podcast app shows my podcast to people that are browsing. And that's really what it's all about, friends. So it doesn't have to be a long review. I mean, you can say two words. It's the fact that you rate it and post some words is what really helps me. And I appreciate it. And I read them all. Um, So I really thank you for that. And if you want to learn more about me and what the Gardener's Workshop work is all about, head over to thegardenersworkshop.com. We are basically um, a virtual learning center, which includes a ton of free resources. We have online courses and we have an online garden shop and we sell those tools and supplies that I use and the same seeds that I'm planting in my garden. We don't save seed typically, but 
we package the seed with my instructions and um, on how we grow it and some tips. And so I would love for you to go over there and join my newsletter. We send out a farm news um, every Wednesday at four o'clock. And basically it's a headliner newsletter. It has about eight or nine categories that different team members are in charge of, and they kind of feature one headline, and then you can click it if that interests you. So it's pretty awesome, I must say, and um, I would love to have you join for that. So let me just jump right in here, and let's get this party started. So fall planting check-in. So, friends, this is... um. I am definitely guilty of what I know so many of you are guilty of. We spend a little too much time peeking under the covers during winter. And, you know, what do we expect frozen plants to look like, right? Sometimes, you know, we're we're freaking out and looking and thinking that they're dead. So I really try to reserve my really in-depth looking to do an evaluation of, oh boy, that really does look dead, um, till about this time. But the drawback to that is if something has really been lost, it's really too late to restart it potentially, possibly, you know, and there's a lot of variables that go with that. But anyway, now is the time to really, for me, um, to do some observation. What made it? Most often, it's pretty much everything at this point in my life and career, but we still, you know, we're always trying new stuff, and sometimes things surprise me, and then if something does look really tough or if it didn't make it, then the first thing I think of was it operator error, which is so often the actual case. Um, Y'all, I don't escape that. Just because my name's on that book doesn't mean that I still don't you know, either not follow through or make a bad choice or just kind of do something that I shouldn't. It happens to all of us. Sometimes it works out really good, but not always. So that, because that, you know, really helps me to decide what I'm going to do for next year. And I should also add that you know, I'm not a good journaler. You know, if you've been following along with me, you know all about my big calendar, um, the big jumbo wall calendar that kind of runs my farm. Um, this, these, the, the major topics that I'm talking about and major findings that you find, you know, your big calendar for like the end of summer for the fall plantings, like when you'll be fall planting this coming season, that, that would be a great place to like write some of these notes so that you'll say, well, you know, I did plant X, Y, Z, and it really suffered, but the reality is I never row covered it, or it was a super wet winter, so maybe, and it was not in a very great drainage spot. Um, so, you know, you can make your notes there, um, but if it's something that you just don't understand why it died, then I would just plant it again. Everything always gets three tries here before I ditch it, so give it another whirl. And, you know, I do tend to check in under the covers um, in January because January is, early January is when I start starting seeds of the cool flowers that I'm planning on planting in very early spring, which we're going to talk about in the next little kind of session. But I often think, okay, you know, I'm going to go out there and have a peek, and if they look really bad, 
maybe I'll go ahead and restart some of whatever it is. Um, and so there is benefit, but I encourage you not to spend too much time because let's face it, if you sat outside all winter with just a lightweight you know, jacket on, you would look pretty tough after a couple of months. So it's really hard to judge, but as you get more experience under your belt, you will really be able to tell. So the next thing that happens um, with the fall planted garden here is I am like living for the day to take the covers off. I hate having the covers in my garden, y'all. It's just kind of untidy. You know, I am not a neat freak, but I could be. But it's hard. You can't see anything. You know, it's hard to see what's kind of going on. And yes, they're a tripping hazard and, you know, the bags are. So there's just lots of reasons that I'm looking forward to the day that the covers are coming off. And so typically what we do is we don't remove the covers and the bags. When I think, okay, it's early March, the next two weeks, the forecast looks really good. It's not even going to go below 25 degrees. I bet we could take the covers down and start doing some little handwork. Well, I'll take the covers down, but I do not remove them. After several years ago, um, I mid-April, late April, literally right at our last frost date, we got a almost into the teens. We went down into the low 20s. Um, it's the only year that I have ever lost all of our peony buds to a, fro a late, cold, real, true, hard frost snap. And I learned then that we do not take our covers out of the garden until we are really in real spring-like conditions. Um, so we take the covers down, but we don't take them out of the garden. They're there, ready to go back up at a moment's notice, which could still, you know, like really happen. And so once we do take the covers down, um, we start doing a little bit of hand weeding. Um, you know, certainly um, because we use the Bio360 film on all of our transplanted beds, um, you know, the only place that a weed really has a chance to get started are, you know, and it's those cool season. I mean, there are like cool season hardy annual weeds too, y'all. That's what chickweed is, henbit, a lot of these weeds that grow during the winter. So some of that is obviously probably started in the holes around the, the transplants. So we start doing a little hand weeding and preparing for when the covers are going to come out of the garden. And as soon as we do get the covers out of the garden, then we start netting, putting up flower support netting. Um, and a common question that I get is, when do we start feeding this fall planted garden? And what I typically say to people is once the plants start growing, um, that's why we try to get in there and get our hand weeding done. It doesn't really, that's usually not very much, but you want to get your flower support netting on board because the minute those plants start growing and the weather starts to change, they elongate because they're so well established, y'all. They elongate really quickly and they'll be tall in no time and you'll miss your window of opportunity. So hand weeding is first and foremost to prepare for support. We start doing either and or um, foliar feeding and a soil drench. A soil drench just basically means to pour um, liquid 
you know, water on the soil with fertilizer in it. That can be done through irrigation. It can be done with a watering can for a small garden. Um, and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. But you can do that once the plants start actively growing in spring is when you want to give them a meal, right? And um, then we also like to foliar feed. And y'all, all that means is that you're putting that water with the fertilizer on it up on the foliage. That is something to do early in the morning before, you know, the sun is out. You don't want to, you know, scald anybody's leaves. Um, and that is when we typically start feeding once the growth starts. So that's kind of my my method of madness for those plants that were fall planted. Um, and then for my very early spring plantings, you know, what do I just, how do I decide what I am going to very early spring plant? And I cannot emphasize this enough. Everybody has to try this for themselves for where you are, for when your frost dates are, for what your kind of spring is like, for what your kind of summer is like. It's different for everybody, but I don't plant nearly as much in very early spring as I did back in the beginning of time when I started growing cool flowers because I found over the years that oftentimes the quality, meaning the stem length, the abundance, the disease and pest resistance of the plant. Because of I live in the mid-Atlantic, we have hot and humid summers. We often have no spring-like conditions. We go right from winter straight into summer. And that means that very early spring stuff is just does not have a chance to get established and do really well to, before it has to perform. Some do and some don't. So you have to really try it. So I've really kind of chiseled down what I very early spring planting. I mean, if you live in a northern um, area, you know, New England of the United States or, um, you know, Montana or somewhere like that where you don't have these hot, humid summers, perhaps, or as early a summer as I do, you might be able to very early spring plant everything. So you really have to test this yourself. So that is the deciding factor for me. How does that plant basically perform and provide, you know, produce when it's basically only half established? You know, I mean, it's not nearly as established as a fall planting. So that is the first thing I'm thinking of. It's like, are the stems tall enough? Um, is there an abundance of them? And do they fall victim to disease and pests? Um, you know, you have to really weigh and value those things for yourself because people always ask, well, what are you fall? What are you very early spring planting? Well, I mean, unless you're my neighbor here, you really might not necessarily, what I do won't apply to you. Um, so you really have to, to check that out for yourself. And as I, you know, often say to people, you know, you don't have to plant a 50-foot row of something as a test. Do some five-foot runs in beds. Have a whole bed, 100-foot bed that's nothing but tests. Just five-foot sections of different cool flowers and see how they do, right? That is just the great way. The other thing, because of those conditions that I just previously described, we do not do any direct seeding of cool flowers in very early spring because basically, we, the seeds would never sprout. They would sprout so late because we go straight from cold weather where they won't sprout into 
warm-like weather, they barely have time to sprout and even get started before the heat and humidity is here. So we would really, we only plant transplants in very early spring for that very reason. Um, and then, you know, this is another part of building this whole freight train of chores to be done on the farm. So we are tackling the fall planted stuff, hand weeding, getting it netted, getting it fed, while we are planting, oftentimes, the very early spring stuff, or we're just finishing that planting. Then we um, start, as soon as we're done with the fall stuff, we start doing those same things to the very early spring. It most likely doesn't need to be weeded, but it needs to be netted, um, and it will be fed when the others are fed. So we have to get supports on them, and the blooms are naturally later for the very early spring planting of the same plant that was planted in fall most often, not always. Um, so let's just take, for instance, calendula, um, which when we fall plant it, that is one of the earliest flowers to bloom on our farm. Oftentimes, because you know I'm in the field, I have no hoop or greenhouses. Um, they often are blooming the end of March, y'all, out in the garden, along with bachelor buttons um, and poppies. Those are the, the three flowers that um, are the very earliest on our farm. So, so those don't aren't as urgent to get the support on them, but they're in the lineup of um, chores to be done, but their blooms are typically later. So let's talk about what's going to happen when the blooms start, right? So first off, I can't, you know, again, emphasize enough how notating on your calendar, big calendar, and I love to do the big calendar. I use the Saturdays as the days that I put the notes on like first blooms of X, you know, first blooms of Y on the Saturday, the, on the, on the Saturdays of that calendar, because you think you're going to remember, but you won't. And it's super helpful. Um, so those are the kind of key. I mean, I'm not putting how much I'm cutting. I'm just putting first poppy, first bachelor buttons, you know, and that kind of gives me an idea because it always takes a week or two for the production to really get going, but that helps to give you a clue. Um, and I do want to also mention that having a cooler for spring flowers, um, you know, we're not talking tulips and ranunculus and anemones because those are not, those are not um, really cool flowers, as in the book, cool flowers. Um, I'm talking about these cool season hardy annuals. They really love and benefit from refrigeration. I mean, they're cool season hardy annuals, right? I mean, it just makes them last longer. It helps you to hold them. So there definitely is a benefit to having a cooler um, or at the very minimum, a cool basement, um, an air conditioned room um, for you to get them in. Because what happens is cool season hardy annual blooms move faster in warm conditions. So that means if you cut a snapdragon tight on Monday and you're going to not use it till Thursday and you don't have a cooler, that sucker is going to be wide open. Um, it's not, not quite the best idea that you want. That's why I've been always been a big um, 
fan of all, for all flower farmers to have a first-of-the-week flower outlet and an end-of-the-week flower outlet to sell your flowers for that reason. I mean, that is, if you don't have a cooler, you need to figure that out. You need to find some customers um, that you are selling to at the first of the week and at the end of the week to help you get through that. And that's how I got through. I was probably... I'm thinking four, five, six years, I can't even remember anymore, before I had a cooler. But I had big-time first-of-the-week customers and big-time farmer's market on the weekend. So I had flowers. Flowers didn't sit here. So you have to think about that. So cool flowers really benefit from that because they are just going to continue to open. And the other thing you need to really make note of is when you have those early poppies, perhaps, bachelor buttons, um, and calendula, you know, those three early birds, do you have a sales outlet? Do you have enough other, enough other stuff? Like if you are growing bulbs, are you growing perennials? Are there other things that you can work with to make bouquets? Or is there a market open? Or are you selling to florists? Is there enough? I can remember so many times um, when I think back to years, those first couple of weeks, oftentimes we would just enjoy a lot of the cuts. I mean, we'd share them with people, the people that worked here, because literally there was not enough harvest. The minute we start harvest on my farm, that means you drag out 200 buckets, um, you set up the carport for bucket washing stations. I mean, it's a big sw switch in the system of the farm to start harvesting and selling. So to not have enough volume of stuff to get really started can really be a downer. So what I'm saying to you is you may find that Iceland poppies shouldn't even be in your lineup because you don't have anything else to sell, right? Um, so that's a, something that's really great to take note of. Um, and making these notes will just be so essential to you in fall. I mean, I would really like, you know, for me, my memory is like only a day long to write notes, especially of something that I really think I love to grow, but it's really just not good for my business to really write that little note at the end of the summer when I'm planning my fall garden, um, is really, really key. I mean, I don't grow Iceland poppies at all anymore commercially. You know, they were just too early for what we do with our, when we were doing our members only market. Um, and because we didn't have enough volume of flowers. I mean, the minute we say the market starts for our members only market, I mean, everybody's desperate and hungry for flowers. They'll all show up. You know, you have to have enough volume. So that's what really is a guiding principle. So I just really kind of wanted to share about what's going to kind of start happening um, as we are moving into this time of, you know, you're, you're kind of manicuring your cool flowers, getting them all tucked in, getting them all ready to, to put on the show, right? And, um, you know, it's really a very exciting time as I'm sitting here recording this. I'm overlooking my cool flower garden, which, you know, 80% of it has row cover on it, so I can't see it. Um, and, you know, it's just a really exciting time right before spring. And, you know, I so 
appreciate, um, I'm sure you all have heard me speak of it, or you may have just, we've done recent podcasts with them, Jonathan and Megan Lease of um, Springforth, how their business model is they target their farm to produce in very early spring, spring, and very early summer. They're actually cutting off at the end of May. That is the highest demand um, for flowers, the spring. And to they have figured out and they have built their whole system around producing as much as possible when the biggest demand and the highest dollar value. And um, Cool Flowers is a very big part of that. And I just encourage people to really try to figure out what went wrong, you know, um, what went wrong or what's, you know, and I just realized what I'm, I'm just sitting here looking. Um, I told you I was looking at my cool flower garden. I am just now because it's raining pretty heavily out there. So my row covers are kind of saggy. And because we're growing so many new colors, of many, like all the status, we sell status now and all the different solid colors, not just the mix. I see that the wooden stakes have poked through the row cover about every five to eight feet. See, you're living and learning, folks. We didn't used to do that because we used to not use stakes. Um, and anyway, so friends, stuff like that is still happening to me. So, folks, if you head over to thegardenersworkshop.com, if you go to the free resources and go to the Field and Garden podcast and blog page, there's categories, and there is a cool flower category you can click on, and it brings up um, the probably, I think, the best clearinghouse of a lot of my cool flower information is the Cool Season Flower Chronicles. And that was a five-part video series I did a couple of years ago, really addressing the questions that I just hear over and over again. And um, we made them into a 30-minute video being very specific about what we're talking about from figuring out when you plant um, to just those common questions. And so I would encourage you to check out thegardenersworkshop.com, go to free resources, go to the blog and video and um, blog and podcast, and then hit the cool flower category. And um, they'll fix you up there. And while you're over there, folks, sign up for my farm news. I think you won't be sorry. All right, friends, until we meet again. Ciao.